Bibles. We're going to look at a number of passages this morning. Uh, the main, the place we're going to start is in Romans chapter 14. In your bulletin, you will find two additional pieces of paper. One is yellow. It is a guide to get you through one third of the Bible in the next year. A number of years ago, I think I've been doing this for 25 years now. This is probably the 25th time I've actually done this. Challenging you for the next year to be in the Bible on a regular basis. And by that, I mean a daily basis. Um, you might use Our Daily Bread. Praise the Lord, keep using it. You might use a Word of Life diary. Um, you know, something like that. You may have your own method of being in the Scripture every day. I don't care what method you use as long as you're in the Word of God. I used to challenge people to read the Bible through in a year, and people have done that. But the vast majority of the people would get going, and uh, they'd skip a day or two, and then you never get caught back up, and they got discouraged and quit. So a number of years ago, I put it together in a three-year plan. This is year two, Job to the end of the Old Testament. <clears throat> Next year will be the New Testament, the year after that, the first part of the Old Testament. If you don't have a way, I encourage you to use that as a bookmark in your Bible, put it right there, check it off, and do it on a regular basis. You'll see there's some hints there for making sure that you keep current. I would encourage you to have an accountability partner who will, on occasion, ask you, are you keeping up? And that kind of gives you a little incentive to make sure you're doing... Uh, what, what you're supposed, supposed to do. Uh, I normally, the first Sunday of the year or the Sunday right before the year starts, like to challenge you with something from the Word of God, and that's exactly what I'm planning to do this morning. So if you're in Romans chapter uh, 15, uh, verse 4, and then there's the other sheet that's kind of my sermon outline. You may want to get that out. You're going to see basically the same thing on the screen behind me also. It says in the Word of God in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Notice it's referring very specifically to the Old Testament Scriptures. A lot of people go, I don't really like the Old Testament. We don't, we don't live in, in Old Testament, Testament times. Time. Absolutely correct. We don't, we don't live under the law. We've, We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. That's all the law did. It was an external restraint. It was a tutor to lead us to Christ. We don't live under it. But it is indeed given by God, by inspiration, and it is profitable in every way for our spiritual lives. It is indeed the foundation of the New Testament. If you do not know the Old Testament, the New Testament, including the Gospels, the whole way to the book of Revelation, will not at times make a lot of sense. Because, because the, the New Testament, Testament is the fulfillment of all the foreshadows and all the accounts of the Old Testament. Testament. And so, so it's, it's very important. important. And, and the Apostle Paul, writing to the Roman Christians, says, What was written in earlier times was for your instruction. The Old Testament was given for your instruction. My wife grew up in a church where they did not like the Old Testament. 
They never preached from it. They didn't encourage it. They were like, that's a bloody God of the Old Testament. We are in the New Testament, the God who's the God of love. The thing is, it's the same God in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. It's just the old was looking ahead. The new looks back to a finished work. And, and so, so I, I encourage you, we, we need both of them. them. And, it and it says here it was written for our instruction. The main reason the Word of God was given to us is to instruct us, to teach us, so we know the right facts, we know the truth. And when we know the truth, we can begin to put it into practice. A lot of people, I'm not anti-motivation. I hope I can motivate you at times. But motivation without a foundational truth gets really, really hard. For example, you can be motivated to have a, a to, to read the scripture for this year. You can be motivated. It's like, yeah, Pastor Paul said that. You know, you know what? That sounds like a good thing to do. Truth is, you get into a busy week. Doesn't help you much. You need to know from God why it's important. You, you may, may know that it's important to forgive or to, to, to do this or to do that or to be emotionally up and to be ministering and then something happens and it's hard and, and life is crashing down and in the middle of the night your brain is going a thousand miles an hour and your heart is trying to keep up. All that emotion goes out the door because you need solid foundational facts. That's where the word of God comes in. And that's, that's why I encourage you to be in the Word of God on a regular basis. Most of us do not skip a day without eating a couple of meals. I challenge you that skipping a day of not being in the Word of God is like going a day without eating. And I've got to tell you, I like to eat. I think most of you go along with that. And so I encourage you, you need to be there. It's for our instruction. And look what it does. It says, through perseverance... And the encouragement of the scriptures. Again, it's the Old Testament. Perseverance is that which keeps us going under the hard times. We can slide through a lot of things when everything is going our way. When there are no real issues. There's nothing that has just fallen apart in our lives. We can kind of slide through. I'm not telling you that's good. I'm just telling you you can do that. But when it gets tough. A relationship, a relationship is in jeopardy. jeopardy. You, you just got, got fired from your job or the money isn't paying all the bills this week. Whatever it is. Or somebody just chewed you up and spit you out and you feel like you're this high. We need something that keeps us going and enduring. And then it says encouragement. Encouragement is the Word of God is coming alongside to help. And that's what the Word literally means. It means to be called alongside to help. It's a counseling term. If you counsel someone or go out of your way to help them, that's what the Word of God does. It goes out of the way to help you. It, along with God's presence and His Holy Spirit, the Word of God is what comes alongside of us to help us through. It, 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 it brings comfort, comfort it brings exhortation, it urges us, it challenges us, us it does all of those things. things. But it, it encourages us to keep on keeping on. And then it ends with this, that we might have hope. We live in a world 
Let's, let's face it, just a few days ago, there were people that lost hope. By the way, let me give do a little side issue here. If you got caught up in the apocalypse mania and you listen to people, please stop doing that. It doesn't look good because it's not going to happen. I know the scripture. I read it to the end. The world doesn't end, cannot end for at least 1,007 years. Seven years of the tribulation and 1,000 years of the millennium. Actually, there's a few more days than that yet. But if the rapture happened, that could happen before the service is over. It could happen before my next word. But when that happens, you still have 1,007 years. So here's what I'm encouraging you. All the doomsday prophets that gave up hope, you've got to write them off. The Bible says if you prophesy something and it doesn't come through, you're a false prophet. Please write them off as false prophets. Let them know. Get to the Scripture. That's what I'm encouraging you to do. Get in the Scripture. And if you read what I'm encouraging you to read, the second half of the Old Testament, you're going to see prophecy after prophecy after prophecy about what God is going to do with the the nation Nation of Israel, the the Jewish people, people, as well as people as a whole. And God isn't done yet. And he will not be done for quite a while. But it says that it gives us that we might have hope. That's an anticipation and an expectation of good based on the work of Christ. It is something that is sure. It's something that is certain. That is not based on Paul Malfair. That is not based on this church. That is not based on you doing your best. That is not based on somebody's prophecy or any of those other things. It's not based on that I've got a good life and I've got a good family and I've got a good job. And It's not based on any of those things. Hope has to be much greater and much deeper than that. Hope is based, obviously, ultimately on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that he did on our behalf on the cross, his redemption. And, and our accepting his salvation for our sin, sin the payment of our sins. And, according to this, not only that, but on the word of God itself. And this is saying, even the Old Testament. And we even have a greater testament in the New Testament. But we need to be in the word of God on a regular basis. It also goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, I have verse 11 up here. But leading up. To to verse 11, 11, which is the one I want to concentrate on, it says in verse 6, Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we should not crave evil things as they also craved um, those evil things. So here's what it's saying. is These things are examples for us. The things in the Old Testament. The accounts, the stories in the Old Testament. The pithy sayings, the proverbs. The The wisdom wisdom literature, literature, the the poems, the the history of how God worked in the lives of the Israelites. All of those things were for examples for us. And notice in verse 11 it says, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The word example is used twice. It comes from the same root word. In my shop, I have a die. No, I have a bunch of them. I have one that's about this long. I can actually cut threads on an inch and a half or two inch piece of pipe. It's big and long and has long handles because it's hard cutting those threads. I have a hammer. I can make marks with the hammer too. I can, you know, hit it. If you miss a nail, you put a cat's paw, a cat's 
track on your baseboard when you're trying to fix your house up. It's an example. It's a type. It's something that is a die. It puts a mark there. I also have dies that are real small to do real small threads. But all of them leave an impression, whether it's an indent from a hammer or whether it's threads from a die that's cutting on a rod or a pipe. The Word of God, specifically the Old Testament, is something that puts an impression on us. Why the Old Testament? Because the New Testament gives us stories and accounts, of course, but it gives us a lot of very theological things kind of presented in a very legal kind of way. But sometimes it's a story. It's an account of how God worked and how God did things in somebody else's life that leaves that big impression in our lives. The story, you'll remember the story long after you'll remember a definition that I gave you in a sermon. Because the story sticks with us. It's just the way our minds work. And he's saying, these things were to leave an impression on you. They were to be a die in your life. And they were written for our instruction. Now, this is a different word than we've been looking at. This one here means to call to mind, to place in the mind by way of rewarding or rebuke or correction. It's the term that I would use for a normal counseling kind of situation. Where somebody's mindset has been this direction, they're thinking this way, and the Word of God says, no, 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 you need to change your thinking. You need to place something in the mind to bring about a needed change. I'm not against emotions. Emotions are great things, but they jump all over the place. I'm not against nice circumstances, but circumstances change very quickly. But our mind, according to the Word of God and on a practical basis, our mind is what governs everything else. You say, but, but my emotions are going this direction. I can't control my emotions. That's only partly true. I'm not going to tell you they don't take you in that direction. But I will tell you that you can choose to change your emotions by changing your mind. You You can can also change change your emotions by being obedient and putting into action what you know to be true. Think about that. You may be sad about something, but you can look at it and say, okay, how did God want to use this in my life? And by the time you're done, you go, hey, that was a blessing in disguise. Or you can choose to make a choice to instead of just being down and out because you're sad, to do something that brings joy into your life, and it does change your emotions. So we're not stuck with those things around us, but we can choose with our mind. And how do I know what to choose? The Word of God. These things that happened in the past that we know from the Old Testament, they were given so that we can make choices, place these things into our mind, and make a choice that changes our lives. That's That's what what God God wants. wants. Think Think about about this. We We kind of think think change is a bad word at times. Change is not a bad word. You cannot grow spiritually without change. Because you will still be thinking the old ways. 
You, you say, say, well, I am growing spiritually. Well, guess, well, guess what? what? If you're going to continue to grow spiritually, you're going to take the scriptures and apply them to your life, and you will change even more. And you will change into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. We mature as we change. As we change, we mature in our faith. The Old Testament was given for that purpose. Now, let's look very quickly. The law was given. That's, That's the, the first, first five, five books of the Old Testament. Testament. It, it goes from the very beginning and shows the power of God starting in creation. It shows the power of God in the flood, for example. It shows the power of God in leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. Over and over again, it shows God's power. It shows that He is sovereign. He will have no other gods before him. And it shows the holiness of God. Just the book of Leviticus alone has a phrase or a, a verse that is repeated over it. Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. Be separated. Be different. Be like me. Don't be like the culture. Don't be like the world around you. Don't conform to your old nature. Don't be fooled by Satan and his ways. But be holy. That's what the first part of the Old Testament tells us. And then there's the history of God's dealings with Israel. And if you want to know if God judges sin, and if you want to know if God blesses obedience, read the history. Some of you are too young to know what I'm going to talk about next as an illustration, but you'll have to take it from us old fogies. You may not know what a broken record sounds like. And it just keeps going around and around and around until you bump it and then you scratch it more. Uh, it just keeps going around the same thing. When you read First and Second Kings, you think you've got a broken record because... God blesses, God delivers them, then they go back into sin, then they get judged, then they cry out to God, and then God comes back and saves them once more. And we repeat it, and then we repeat it, and then we repeat it. Guess what? God never let them get away with it. In fact, ultimately, they went into captivity. God definitely deals with sin. It also, he also deals with blessing. In Deuteronomy, for example, it ends with this. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings a curse. No doubt about it. If we're obedient to God, He speaks on our behalf. If we're disobedient, He speaks against us. A lot of times people think that judgment comes from Satan. Satan doesn't judge us. He wants us to be fooled. But God is the one that brings a curse, a judgment against us. Only way I know what God wants is by getting into the Word of God, because that's how He's communicated to us. Not only by way of instruction and giving us hope, but also leaving a mark on us and keeping us thinking in the right direction. Let's face it, I don't know about you, but it doesn't take me long to start thinking wrong. I need a constant reminder of the right direction to be thinking. That's why the Word of God on a consistent basis in your life is absolutely essential. The Old Testament continues on with Job and the Song of Solomon and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and all of the other wisdom books. 
It's poetry. It's philosophy. It's practical. But it's stylized. It's in poetry and psalms and songs and those types of things. Doesn't make it right or wrong. Simply a different style. And God uses that. Some people, that really appeals. That goes even deeper than just the facts of hearing a story. I'm not the kind of person that appreciates poetry all that much. Some people really appreciate that. God knew that. He's the one that designed us, and he gave poetry for those kind of people. I'm a Proverbs kind of guy. Like, this equals this. Black and white. I, I like that. That's my kind of wisdom literature. But it's practical. And then there are the major and the minor prophets. That does not mean the major prophets are more important than the minor prophets. Not at all. They are simply God giving the future. Sometimes it's actually happening at that point, but he is foretelling what is happening now and into the future. Major and minor simply means the major prophets have dozens of chapters and uh, the minor prophets have mostly less than a dozen chapters. That's the only difference. And all of them just give warnings to Israel for the present and the future, and they also explain the faithfulness of God that he continues on and will do exactly what he has said he would do. And he is the one that's eternal. He is in charge of what's going to happen in the future. Again, that's why I don't worry about these doomsday prophets, because I already know. I read the end of the book. I've, I've also read, read the beginning of the book because I can't really understand the book of Revelation until I understand Genesis and the minor and major prophets and a whole lot of other things from the Old Testament and even parts of the New Testament. We need to keep in mind, God gave us all those things from the Old Testament for our instruction and as an example to us. God does not change. So the Old Testament's great. So if you haven't been reading the Old Testament a long time, I challenge you. Read the Old Testament. Word of advice. If you get to some places, if you decide, well, I'm going to start in Genesis, and you get to all the begottens, begottens, the begots, and you go, this is boring. Or you get to another place, you go, I don't understand it. What I'm going to challenge you, and I used to do this, so I'm going to tell you this right now. You get to those, you skim read them. That's not disrespectful. That means you just haven't learned enough yet that it makes sense. Skim read it. Keep moving. Because eventually it will get explained. Now, maybe not this year. It might be next year or the year after that. I'm still learning. I still study every week to be able to, to know what God says. Because I'm still learning. There are things that... I didn't appreciate it all when I first started reading the Bible. Now I understand why they're there, but I didn't when I started. And I encourage you, don't stop. Just put it in high gear. Skim read through them. Eventually, it'll come back to you. It'll come to you, and you'll begin to understand why God put them there. But then we get to the New Testament. And John is most explicit here in making it very clear to us that the New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, is selected. Not everything that could have been written was written. But what was written was exactly what God knew we needed for our lives, for our faith, for being obedient to him. Let's look at John chapter 20 and then we'll look at John chapter 21. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But... These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now notice, he said there were a lot of other things that could have been written. Even the miracles that Jesus did, and I believe there are 33 of them recorded. It, according to this, there were many other things that Jesus did. They, he performed in the presence of the disciples, and disciples means everywhere, everything from the twelve to crowds that gathered around him. Uh, but they weren't written in the book. They could have been, but they weren't. God didn't choose to put them in. But he said, I have a specific purpose for the ones that I have given you. And this is very specific to the Gospels. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the one sent from God. He is the Son of God. He has the exact same character in nature as God. He is God in the flesh. And that believing... That's exercising trust in what he has done. You may have life in his name. In other words, you may be born again, have redemption, have a new life, spiritual life. You were born spiritually dead. You can be made spiritual life by trusting Jesus Christ. That's why the gospel in particular was written. But look what John does as he brings his book to an end. He says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did. Which, Which, if if they they were written in detail, I suppose that not even the world itself could contain the books which were written. Now, I'm going to surmise something. This is uh, sanctified imagination. I think I'm right, but I can't prove it anywhere exactly. I don't have a verse to back it up. Notice it says, even the world couldn't contain all the books, everything that could be said. I believe that when, if you've trusted Christ and you're going to heaven, I believe, and I don't even understand the whole concept of eternity. I just know it's true, and I know it doesn't have an end. I believe you will be learning for all eternity of all the great things about who God is and what he has done for us. I don't think there's an end to it. Now, that's my personal opinion. I'm, I'm dividing opinion here from what it actually says. But I know one thing for sure. The world couldn't contain everything that could be written that God could tell us. This world, the supercomputer couldn't do it, the books, all the libraries in the world couldn't do it. But there is so much. Guess what? You don't know it all. Neither do I. We have a library. It's 66 books long. It's all in one binding in most people. In fact, there's a lot of you uh, don't even use one that has a binding on it anymore. All, All of you, you that are looking at your iPod, iPhone, iPhone I, whatever it is, hold it up. Okay, see that? I, it used to freak me out. It doesn't anymore when I see the elders of Garden Chapel coming to church without a Bible, and then I'd see them whipping out their, their thing. Will, Will's famous for it up here when he, when he reads, when he's uh, leading the praise team. It's like... What's he doing? Then I realize, oh, okay, he's got his Bible on there. You know what? It's not so much if it's on a printed page or it's digital. It doesn't really matter. All I know is that no device you have, no books that you have could contain everything that could be said about Jesus Christ. There's still more. That's why I surmise that for all eternity, we'll still be learning. The Gospels obviously do record selectively the life, the person, the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. It discloses his example, his character, and the things that we can obtain by trusting Jesus Christ. 
makes that very clear to us. But then we go to the rest of the New Testament. For example, church history. How do I know what the church is like? How do I know where the church came from and what direction God is pointing the church? The book of Acts is where it starts. It doesn't end. But the book of Acts gives us the beginning and the development of the church. And it shows the purpose, it shows the direction, and it gives us many of the goals that the church is to carry out. Not all of them, because we didn't finish the New Testament yet. But it gets us started in the right direction. It's one of my favorite books, along with Proverbs. Acts is just, really, for me, I just look at that and marvel at how God just changed and, and just continued to change, and these people followed along, and they just turned the world upside down. And then we get to First Timothy chapter 3, verses uh, 14 and 15. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, this is the Apostle Paul writing to a pastor. He says, you know what, I want to come and I want to meet with you eyeball to eyeball, toe to toe. I want to speak from my mouth to your ear and I want to interact with you. That's what I really want to do. I like that personal interaction stuff. But he said, you know what, I may get delayed. I may not get there immediately. It may be a while before I get there. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to write you a letter. I'm going to write it down. Now, we still have those letters. This is one of them. Why did he write? I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. Before I was a pastor, I worked construction. There are two words here that have to do with construction, pillar and support. Pillar is something that stands up and everybody sees it. Support is a foundation. Now, I've been in many people's houses, and I never once, and nobody ever came to my house, if you saw the uh, support in my house, you'd say, is that thing going to stand up? Because I have an old farmhouse. But the support is the part that nobody sees. Nobody walks into somebody else's house and says, wow, you have a great footer in your house. Nobody ever does that. But I'll tell you what, I know if you don't have a good footer in your house, because my house is an example of this. The floors are tilted, they're up and down, all kinds of things. Because guess what? Some of the, the supports uh, were eaten away or rotted a long time before I was alive. And they had to reinforce it. The stone walls kind of move a little bit. You know what? But a solid support is the part nobody sees. Don't really appreciate it until the cracks show up. See, I can come to your house and find out if the contractor did a good job of putting a foundation in because your doors are going to hit and scrape because they get a little cock and you're going to have cracks in your drywall or your plaster and all kinds of things. I see people smiling and you know what I'm talking about. My, My wife, wife used to work for somebody, a really expensive house, and they, and they added an addition to the house, and it literally cracked the, the fireplace away from the rest of the house because it sank that much. Uh, you know, how people get away with that kind of nonsense, I don't know. But you know what? We need a firm support. The Word of God gives us that firm support. If you're wondering, why is my life a mess? Why can't I ever get my life under control? I propose to you that one of the reasons, and a major reason is, that you are not constantly being supported by the truths of the Word of God. You're not getting into it. 
So you can have all the emotion and all the hoopla and all the, the praise and worship and all those kinds of things. Not against any of those things. We are absolutely to be doing those things. But unless you're on the solid foundation support of the truth of the Word of God, all of those things are going to be shaky. They're going to let you down. We need to have that. And then it says that it is the pillar. The pillar is the part that everybody sees. That's the superstructure. That's the column that stands up and everybody looks at it and says, Wow, isn't that grand? Until we as a church and you as an individual Christian can have a light and a testimony to the world, the thing that everybody else sees, you need a solid foundation. Because otherwise you're going to have a support that's leaning. Nobody gets too impressed unless it's the leaning tower of Pisa. Nobody cares about a building that's leaning. The fact is they go, you know what, tear that thing down before somebody gets hurt. Okay? I have to tell you that the world looks at the church as like, you know what, somebody ought to tear that down because it's leaning pretty hard. It's a dangerous thing. When you have the support, then you can stand up before the world and you can preach the gospel. You can tell people, Jesus Christ is the way. There is a God. He cares. You answer to him and they'll take notice and they'll heed it. We need, we need to, to make, make sure, sure that, that we have that solid foundation. <clears throat> These letters are simply to the church, their guidance, their instructions, and they tell us not only about the church, but our own personal lives, our character, and those types of things. And then we get to the final book of the New Testament and the Bible itself. It's very unique. It brings, like Genesis starts most, almost everything that is going to be in the Word of God starts in Genesis. Everything comes to an end in the book of Revelation. As this book comes to an end, it says, And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. We need to understand that the future is secure. There is hope. We are not hopeless. We are not just looking at a foggy future. God has indicated from the Old Testament to the New Testament, even to the book of Revelation, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I work. And right up to the very end, God says, yes, I am faithful. I am true. And I will bring about all the promises. I will bring about all the rewards. And I will also bring about all the judgments. You see, you do reap what you sow. And God says, and I'm in charge. Not only here and now, but for all eternity. The book of Revelation brings that to a close. But there's there's one one last passage. passage. You You all know this one. I kept it for last on purpose. purpose. It again is looking back to the Old Testament, Testament, particularly it also applies to the New Testament. Testament. And And I only have part of it on the screen. The rest of it, uh, you can look it up in your Bible. But I ran out of screen. Verse 14 says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. By the way, the... Uh, Tim, I'm sorry. Timothy learned them from his mother and his grandmother. 
family. That's, That's where you learned the Old Testament. Testament. I'm going to tell, tell you, if you're young parents here, you have young, young children, please, whatever you do, read Bible stories to them. Give them a support. Give them something they can build their lives on. You know, not only devotion to me and the Word for yourself, but if you're an adult and you have children, please, by all means, have family devotions so that your kids learn the truths of the Word of God. We'll, we'll try, try to help you here at church, but guess what? what? We're, We're only here for a few hours. hours. You're there all the time. It goes on in verse 15. And that, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, referring to the Old Testament, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Faith always has an object. You can have faith in all kinds of things, but they will always crumble. What is, what is this based on? Jesus Christ, the Word of God. That's where you can place your faith. And then it goes on to probably one of the more famous passages of Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration by God, of inspiration by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Notice. It, it is, is for, for teaching, teaching. That's, that's the instruction, instruction. For, for reproof. Hey, hey you're, you're wrong. For, for correction. Hey, hey here's, here's the right direction to go. It's, it's the best GPS you will ever find. find. And it's, it's not just to get you to the next destination. destination. It's for all of life. And, and then, then it says, for, for training in righteousness. righteousness. You see, God didn't give you life just so that you could go to heaven. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. But he gave you life, spiritual life, so that you could turn around and minister to other people. It's for training in righteousness. So I can be fitted. The right part at the, use the right way. Adequate, equipped, prepared for every good work. When I put an engine together, I try to start out with the right parts, and I try to use them in the right way to make the best power, the best endurance in an engine. He says the Word of God is way better than the engine manual and putting those parts together correctly. It will put your life together. As a pastor, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, my observation, this is, this is not you, of course, it's somebody else that I'm talking about now, is I see people that are trying to put the wrong parts and use them the wrong way in life. And they need to get back and say, hold on a second. I need, I need to get, get back, back to the manual. manual. I, need I need to know how to put things, things together. together. Because my life's a mess. It's, it's always falling apart. I'm always... Everything's a mess. But I need to get order back in my life. The Word of God is where you start. That's the start. Practical application of it is where you need to go from there. But that's what we need. The challenge this year, be in the Word of God on a regular basis... And then put it into practice. You'll have the right parts, the right knowledge, and you'll be able to use those right parts, that right knowledge, in a right way. That brings stability, security, uh, and all of those types of things into your life. This morning, as the men gather for um, serving the Lord's Supper, just a few reminders. God, God does, does judge. judge. I, I already mentioned, mentioned that earlier. If you 
This is the Lord's Supper. It's not the Supper of this church. So if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you are currently living in fellowship with Him and in fellowship with men, you are invited and encouraged to participate. If you are out of sorts, you're not a Christian, this is just some grape juice and some matzah. But if you're a Christian and you're saying, I'm proclaiming his death till he comes, you're saying, hey, look what Christ has done in my life, and I want you to see that. You're being a hypocrite. Please do not participate, because God says there are a number that's sick and weak and a number sleep. That means God has taken them out early, benched them and taken them out early.